Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. SST on Apple Podcasts, app, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate you the same. It's a solo pod. It's just me out here today. Haven't done one of these in a minute, and it feels good. Obviously, I love doing the podcast with all my guys. You know, the NBA outsiders, the designated hitters. We got guys on deck over here, but today is one where I get to just lock in on one of my favorite things in sports. And it's ironic because I'm not convinced that it's the most important thing in that sport. I've talked about it before on the pod. And yes, it has to do with the NFL draft. It's a it's a day away we're talking NFL draft. I love wide receivers, man. I love it. It's a position I played in high school. It's a position I have the most fun watching. The players I... I love the most, but when you talk about team building, there's arguments to be had about what you spend on the receivers, where you draft the receivers, and everything in between. Is it more important to have playmakers on the outside or maulers on the inside? It's something that I debate and struggle with, but I always kind of lend myself to the offensive lineman. You know, those playmakers can be that much better. The running back can be that much better. The quarterbacks, obviously, can be that much better if you're handling your business up front, right? It's pretty simple. But we love wide receivers. We love fantasy football. These are the players we we might know the most. Obviously, you know, we know quarterbacks the most. And after that, who do we know the most? Wide receivers, running backs, of course. So a couple weeks back, uh, through a conversation on Twitter... My guy, uh, Simeo, from TCNJ, my boy, we, we started talking about who knows what and drafting who and where, and it made me think, you know, there's a lot of receivers in this league who, I don't want to say come out of nowhere, but are not first-round picks who make it impact. And, you know, they might not all be number one options. They might not all be spectacular. But when you think about the teams in the league and their success, There's dudes in the second, third, fourth round every single year who make it happen and become players in this league. So I went on this exercise after the conversation and I I looked back to the past five drafts from 2016 to last year, 2020. And we know, for example, in 2020, I'm going to go through it in a second. We know that Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb have what it takes to be number ones. And they were expected to be so. And they weren't the only receivers in the first round. In fact, the 2020 draft had six players go in the first round and then two players in the first two picks of the second round. So maybe that one's a little bit more unique because there was a ton of talent. And Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, they may slide under the radar in a sense behind Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, etc. So... We're, we're going to start, we're going to go through that. But if your team is picking, if you're the Miami Dolphins and you're picking at 
you know, six, or you're the Giants picking at 11, or you're somebody picking in the teens, the early 20s, and you have other needs, there's great reason to believe that you can fill those other needs in the first round, find the starter that you might need on the defense or on the offensive line or wherever it may be, and there's a decent chance you can find true talent, true rotational players. We don't use the word rotational in in the NFL as much, but think about it in the NBA sense. A guy who may not be, you know, you're starting to guard, but damn, he's a good bench player who plays defense, he shoots, whatever it may be. In, In football, you got guys who may not be lone number one targets, you know, 10 targets a game guys, but guys who have four to five targets and could change a game, who may be red zone targets. So, through this exercise, we're going to go through those last five drafts. We're going to obviously mention the dudes in the first round, see how they went, see how they paid off. Maybe even if they're good, did they deliver the impact you hope when you think about the team they went to versus a guy who maybe a different team picked in the second, third round who made the same impact, but the team is in a better place because of other you know picks, free agent signings, and priorities, if that makes sense. After that, I am going to talk about the draft that happens on Thursday. And I'm going to talk about the receivers you probably don't hear about quite as much. Obviously, with this draft in particular, we have Jamar Chase, stud. We have Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith, studs. Guys who put up otherworldly numbers and highlights in college. Nobody's really questioning them too much. Obviously, there's the questions with Devonta Smith and his size. We know that. But we're not going to spend that much time on this right now. Because we've talked about it. We've talked about the quarterbacks at nauseum. We've talked about some of the first round picks and the offensive tackles and the edge rushers or corners. You know, you're hearing about those guys on TV. So I'm going to talk about the other wide receivers. So when you're watching the draft on Friday, you're watching it on Saturday or Sunday, or you're just, you know, following who your team is picking and you hear a name called and you're like, who the hell is that guy? Is he going to help my team? Is he going to help Zach Wilson? Like, Zach Wilson needs help, right? Uh, It's not a guarantee. They use number 23 or 24, whatever pick they have later in the first round, on a receiver. In fact, it's probably unlikely. Better chance they go running back, great chance they go defense, another offensive lineman, who knows. So when you hear some of these names, I want you to be a little bit aware of who they are and how excited you might be. Because there are some dudes here who I think will contribute, and they might be second-round picks, third-round picks, etc., So, with that being said, we're going to start with the 2020 draft. And we're going to go through it. And we're going to talk about all these guys. So, we obviously know Ruggs, Judy, Lamb. All top 17 picks. Everybody knew they were going to go early. In fact, maybe they went even a little later. If those guys were in the draft today, or tomorrow, if you will, is Jerry Judy a better prospect than Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith? It's probably right there. It's probably a toss-up, maybe it's even Judy. It, it really depends year to year on what receivers are going to go, you know, top 5 to 8 versus 12 to 18. So, Ruggs at 12, Judy at 15, CeeDee Lamb at 17. Those guys seem like they're all going to be good players. They're going to work out. Lamb and Judy probably more than Ruggs as far as number one options. But Ruggs is going to be a player, and he has game-breaking speed. He's proven that. Throughout the rest of the first round, <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing already, but... The Eagles did not pick Justin Jefferson. 
absolutely insane. I mean, I was talking to my boy who's a Philly fan. He's a Philly guy. I was like, yo, Philly messed up the two easiest picks you can possibly have had in the NFL and the NBA in the past couple of years. And it made so much sense. Everybody thought that the Eagles or Sixers were going to go in this particular route and then just didn't. The the Sixers, I'm talking about Mikel Bridges, so they picked the guy. He's a Villanova guy. His his mom worked for the organization, and then they just traded him for Zaire Smith, which, unfortunately, Zaire Smith got you know really sick and like in a lot of injury concerns, you know, off-court stuff too. So, unfortunate, but Mikel Bridges was the obvious pick. They picked him. They got him all hyped up, said, you're going home. You know, you're with your mom's organization, and then shipped him out. So, that was crazy. And then they didn't pick Justin Jefferson. Everybody thought that was the obvious pick. They went with Jalen Rager. Now, listen, Jalen Rager, not a bad player. He's nowhere near what Justin Jefferson is right now. Nowhere near it, right? He might be a nice player. We're not going to rule him out as a bust. We're not going to say he's bad. We're going to say there's a lot to 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 be seen with him. And frankly, it was an incomplete on year one. But there's almost no shot. He's close to what Justin Jefferson is. And, and he proved it in Minnesota. So he went one pick after Rager at number 22. You also had Brandon Ayuk in the first round. He made awesome plays. Like he just, he crushed it. He did great, great work in, in San Francisco added to their weaponry, and he had some health stuff too. He didn't play every game, uh, but I think we feel pretty good about Brandon Ayuk as a wide receiver talent. So that's the first round, 2020. After that, we have T. Higgins in the second round. Looks like an awesome piece for Cincinnati. Uh, Number one, you can argue, probably a number two, but a really strong one, one who's a possession receiver, red zone threat, etc. He's an early second round pick. Michael Pittman, right after him, same concept, big target. Is he a true number one? Maybe not, but he's an awesome number two. Then you go to LaVishka Chenault. He's the 10th pick in the second round. He's got a little running back combo in him. He's a stud. That guy's going to be heard from in the league for a minute. Having him for Trevor Lawrence is going to be great. You think about, <clears throat> excuse me, what ETN and Amari Rogers, who we'll get into in this draft, wide receiver. We're going to get to him later. What, what Trevor Lawrence did with them as versatile guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield, out of the slot, in the screen game, etc. LaVishka Chenault is going to look good uh, next to James Robinson and Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. They sneaky got some talent there. After that, we have now one, two, three, four, five more second-round receivers, four third-round receivers, and then obviously a bunch more, but I'm going to focus on those guys. In the second round, we got K.J. Hamler, 14th pick in the second round. Incomplete. Guy had some real separation that he was creating a lot in this league. You know, he didn't have a good quarterback over there. Uh, Drew Locke was not finding K.J. Hamler very successfully. You know, Drew Locke was not on the field enough. So it was a little ugly. We'll give it incomplete, but that guy can be a contributor. Then obviously we have Chase Claypool, the steal of the draft, right? So you're thinking about the Eagles. I'm just going to use them as an example. I'm just going to pick them out right here. I'll even call the Cowboys out as well. Because the Cowboys have, opposite of the Eagles, they have a little bit of a, um embarrassment of riches. They have a bunch of receivers. They had Amari Cooper, who they're paying a lot. They had Michael Gallup, who's a really good player. And they still picked CeeDee Lamb. Granted, he's a good player. But if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you had a terrible defense last year. Your offensive line is banged up and getting old. Ezekiel Elliott is fantastic, but there was a bunch of other things they needed. Obviously, 
defensive backfield was ugly for the Cowboys last year. Was CeeDee Lamb the right pick? Was he? Now, similarly to the New York Giants and Saquon Barkley, you are incredibly happy to have him. But if you really think about it and you go back and say, was that the right pick for the team? Was that the pick that's going to help set this team up for success moving forward? I am not convinced. Especially when you see a guy like Michael Pittman go, you know, almost 12, 13 picks later. T. Higgins, 12 picks later. Chase Claypool, a whole round and a half later. Like, if you're the Cowboys and you have all these holes and you see Claypool go to Pittsburgh and instantly make an impact, score a bunch of touchdowns, looks like a guy who's going to be a playmaker for years to come in the league, and you go, God damn, what were we thinking? Like, we have so many other holes. Why were we making sure we picked a receiver when we already have two good ones? It's a little crazy to me. You move on to Van Jefferson, guy who uh, looked good in camp for the Rams, picked number 25 in the second round, 57 overall, incomplete. He's got room to grow. We'll see how he does with Stafford. You know, their offense got a little weird last year. It was very Robert Woods heavy, obviously Cooper Cup heavy. So he got a little bit lost in the mix, didn't make the impact they had hoped, but we're giving him an incomplete. He can be a contributor. Same goes for Denzel Mims. I mean, let's be honest, the Jets haven't done anything in the past game. Sam Darnold, injured, terrible offensive line. Uh, Jamison Crowder or die for the playmakers on the Jets. Denzel Mims gets an incomplete. He was mostly injured as well. You move down, Antonio Gibson. Hit. Boom. Bam. Bang. Yes, he's a running back, but he was a receiver in the draft. We're gonna give him, we're gonna give him a go. I'm not skipping anyone here, by the way, folks. I'm going line for line. Every wide receiver drafted in 2020 so far. And after Antonio Gibson, you got two more guys who are in the third round here who are incomplete and have chances to be really good. Lynn Bowden, you saw him in Kentucky. He was playing quarterback. He was playing running back. He was playing wide receiver. When he got drafted by the Raiders, people were excited, saying, okay, Oakland, let's make some plays. This guy is frisky. He's got speed for real. He's got athleticism dripping off of him. He can make some plays, and he flashed it once he got to Miami. I like to see him in year two get a little more comfortable become that that full-fledged wide receiver that you hope. I have faith in him to be a contributor. After that, Brian Edwards, big physical guy. That guy has a chance. He's incomplete as well. Didn't have the year he wanted last year as a rookie, but incomplete. So out of that group right there, out of the group all through the third round, obviously Devin Duvernay, you know, Ravens, not a scrub by any means. He's out there. Gabriel Davis for the Bills in the fourth round, by the way. I still haven't skipped anybody. This is all the receivers drafted in 2020. Those guys are in the end of third and fourth round and can be contributors for sure. Gabriel Davis actually had a run for the Bills uh, at a point in the season where I was like, okay, he might actually just be in the rotation. John Brown was hurt. He stepped in and made plays. So we're talking Ruggs, Judy, Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, LaVishka Chenault, Chase Claypool, and Antonio Gibson. We're going to throw him out, I guess, because he's running back. But all of those dudes are proven commodities after one year in the NFL. So if you are the Broncos and you are the Cowboys and you are the Raiders who took three receivers in this draft in the three, in the first three rounds, are you a little bit regretful? Are you saying, okay, we have Henry Ruggs. That's really cool. Is Henry Ruggs at number 12 that much better than somebody like Denzel Mims at 59 overall. 
or KJ Hamler at 46 overall. He's better for sure. I'm not going to say he's worse. I'm not going to say he's the same. But for value of pick, is that the right pick? I think there's a real debate there. So let's keep moving through these drafts. We're going to go back to 2019 now. 2019, and you think about these guys, it's a little bit more unique. It's a little bit more spread out. There wasn't the the big three we have this year, the big three we had last year. In fact, the number one receiver off the board was Marquise Hollywood Brown. A good receiver by many metrics. A guy who can break games open with his speed, but by no means is a number one wide receiver. Now, I'm not going to come out here and hate on the Baltimore Ravens. They're doing a lot of good things with personnel, with winning football, football games, you know? So not this is not a hate on the Ravens, but you think back to it and you say, is that the guy you really wanted at number one in your draft, the first receiver off the board? Because I'm going to get to some guys who were picked later on in this draft, and you're going to say, oh, the first guy picked in this draft was in front of that guy and that guy and that guy. And you're going to go, uh-oh, that wasn't very good. <laughs> so moving on to the end of the first round, after Marquise Hollywood Brown, we got Nikhil Harry. Incomplete-ish. Ish. Cam Newton can't throw. He's been injured. He's kind of slow. He's big, but eh, not feeling great about that. First round pick, Nikhil Harry. That doesn't feel so good. You get into the second round. It starts to get a little bit better, in fact. You get Debo Samuel early in the second round. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is the fourth receiver off the board here. He's perhaps the best receiver in this this draft. In fact, I'm putting a star next to his name. I'm not just chalking him up as a contributor. I'm saying A.J. Brown's a star wide receiver in this league. After that, you get Miko Hardman, a useful player. And if you're saying the Baltimore Ravens wouldn't trade... Uh, a, a late second-round pick of Nicole Hardman for a first-round pick of Marquise Hollywood Brown? I'm not sure I can agree with that. I'm saying the Ravens would go, yep, we probably could have done something else in the first round if we had a chance to get him later on. Granted, they probably went uh, a pick before they would have had their second-round pick if they even had it. I'm not sure exactly how it works out. But Nicole Hardman, solid player, useful. Take the top off the defense. Make plays. You saw it. Granted, he's with Kansas City. My guy's got skills. My guy's got talent. And here are the Eagles again. Second round, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Not great there, but then you got Paris Campbell and Andy Isabella also in the second round. Paris Campbell, solid player out of Ohio State in Indianapolis. He's not a star by any means, but he is a contributor. He's a contributor. So you waste a first-round pick on Nikhil Harry. You got a guy like Paris Campbell who might be a little under the radar. He's probably better than him. Andy Isabella, not bad, whatever. End of the second round, you get to DK Metcalf, a guy who I didn't particularly love in the draft because I didn't think his actual wide receiver skills were up to snuff. I think if he doesn't get drafted by Seattle, his career looks very different right now, but it's pretty much undeniable that that dude's physicality, his athleticism, and his will to be great would have probably pushed him to a great place no matter what. But boy, does it help to be drafted by a team with Russell Wilson on it. I'll tell you what, it really does. After that, you get Deontay Johnson, a really solid guy with some drop issues, but a guy who will be in rotations as a top three wide receiver for the next eight years. 
a game breaker who catches the ball for five and takes it for 50. Third round, second pick in the third round. And now you're, you're talking, you're thinking about some of these guys who are picked in the first round. You say, they're just okay. If you're, again, the Ravens, Marquise Brown, first round, would you rather Deontay Johnson for a third or Marquise Brown for a first? I ain't throwing shade at the warrior over there, Marquise Brown, but I am throwing shade at the idea that you need to take a first-round pick wide receiver. After that, the third-best receiver, perhaps the second, uh, no, I'm going to say third because he's not better than DK Metcalf. A.J. Brown's my number one in this draft. You get Terry McLaurin in Washington. Third-round pick out of Ohio State. He was not even the number one Ohio State wide receiver in this draft, and he's a goddamn stud. Stud. You get Miles Boykin. You get some more garbage here in this draft. There's a bunch more receivers taken in the fourth and fifth and sixth round, and perhaps that was because there were no, you know, big three or, or marquee names in that first round. You go down past a couple people, you get Hunter Renfro, really solid. You get Darius Slayton in the fifth round, Travis Fulgham in the sixth round, as well as Scotty Miller in the sixth round. Those are guys who are useful players, who are going to be in rotations, who are going to be making catches, who are going to be scoring touchdowns for some years to come. That is almost a 50% hit rate here in this draft. You know, got guys like Hakeem Butler, Gary Jennings Jr., Riley Ridley, EJ Speed, Keyshawn Johnson. Like, these guys are not much, right? You haven't heard of them. I, you, don't know, you don't know much about them. But DK, Deontay, Terry McLaurin, Hunter Renfro, Darius Layton, Travis Fulgham, Scotty Miller, all end of second round or later. Let's move on to 2018. In 2018, we have a few first-round picks, but wisely, if I might say so myself, none of these wide receivers were taken too early because you think about who succeeded out of this class, I'd, I'd argue that the first 10 picks who were wide receivers in this class are good picks, are good players, are contributors. You have DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley, in the first round at pick 24 and 26. Calvin Ridley, I have marked off as a star. That guy is awesome. I thought he was the best wide receiver in the draft. Couldn't believe he wasn't the first one taken off the board, and he's fantastic. DJ Moore, solid player. Really solid player. Going to be in rotations for a long time. Cortland Sutton was injured last year. He was in the second round. Cortland Sutton, he was a stud. If you forgot what Cortland Sutton did two years ago, go check it out as a rookie. He did some great things. You get Dante Pettis in the second round as well. Mixed bag, kind of lackluster career as far as statistics and just contribution. But a guy who can play, and I'm not sure we're done hearing from him just yet. You move more into the middle of the second round. You got Christian Kirk, Anthony Miller, James Washington, and DJ Chark. That's four names in the second round who are all contributors in this league. Christian Kirk is really good. Very solid, maybe might be the better phrase. Anthony Miller played with the Bears, so it's tough to give him a good grade, but a guy who was open all the time, a guy who created space, who was tough. James Washington, similar story. You know, crowded playmakers there in Pittsburgh, but he makes plays down the field, intermediate, does a lot of good stuff on the football field. DJ Chark is just about as close to a number one wide receiver without being a number one wide receiver as you can get, and he's the 29th pick in the second round. 
I haven't skipped somebody yet. Those are all the receivers in order thus far in the 2018 NFL draft. After Chark, you get Michael Gallup and Traquan Smith. Traquan Smith was a touchdown guy last year. Big frame. He's going to be a red zone threat for a bunch, bunch of years to come. He's a good player. He's not a great player. He's not number one. But he's a contributor. Michael Gallup is a 1,000-yard receiver possibly every single year. Obviously now crowded uh, playmaking uh, unit there in Dallas. But if you want to talk about this again, and I'll bring it back because this is the whole point of the whole thing here. C.D. Lamb at 17, you're happy with it. But there's other holes on that Cowboys roster that needed to be filled. And that's why it's even crazy that they're considering to take another skill player again. I know it's obviously uh, Patrick Sertain is the guy you're hearing to Dallas the most, right? But they're saying, like, you know, if Kyle Pitts is available, obviously Kyle Pitts is probably a little unique here. He's a game-breaker. He might be a Hall of Fame-level talent. They're still considering to take another playmaker, and they got all these dudes. You got Michael Gallup in the third round. Ain't you learn anything? Crazy to me. So the first 10 receivers in the 2018 draft, and that includes eight second rounds or third round picks, all successful NFL players. Maybe you can argue Dante Pettis, so that's nine out of 10 successful NFL players. Now, if you, if you spent pick number 24 on DJ Moore, are you happier with that than spending a late second round pick on DJ Chark, a mid third round pick on Michael Gallup? I don't think so. And of course, I'm not trying to sit here and say that it's a 100% success rate in the third round. It's not. But it's also not a 100% success rate in the first round. So when you're really trying to build a roster here, what's more important? Filling the obvious holes that you have or just getting a embarrassment of riches at the wide receiver position? Moving on to 2017. This one had some misses. This one definitely had some misses, and this one's great for us here. So you had Corey Davis go five. Yes, number five, Corey Davis. I know if you're thinking about him with recency bias, he's been pretty good. He had a really, really nice year last year. He just got paid in the offseason. But if the Titans go back, do you think they're taking the fifth pick overall with Corey Davis? Uh, Guess again. I don't think they're going to do that. And he's a guy who's pretty good. He's pretty good. Mike Williams, same story. First round, seventh pick overall. Big body, go-getter. Down the field, red zone target. He's going to be a game-breaker with, with, uh, with Justin Herbert. He's going to be, right? But the seventh pick overall is aggressive, and he's been banged up, and I think he's a great player, but he's banged up, and he hasn't produced at that level even close to this point. And that's a team that had Keenan Allen, who had Hunter Henry. This is, you know... Uh, couple years back so before he was hurt for a while and then after that this is where it gets wonky John Ross ninth pick overall John Ross a guy who if you really watched didn't have awesome hands kind of just had burners and he went ninth overall so I'm going to be specific here because it's unique to the Bengals the Bengals have actually done a good job finding talent they did a great job taking T Higgins in the second round last year They obviously got Tyler Boyd later in the draft uh, a few years back before that. So they've done a decent job with receivers. Yet their big miss is when they swung on a guy who ran a 4-2 and only looked at his speed and none of his other attributes. 
You also get Zay Jones early in the second round. So two misses there in the first five guys taken. But after that, you get Curtis Samuel and Juju Smith-Schuster. Samuel with the eighth pick in the second round. Juju with the last pick in the second round. You go back and you say Corey Davis, number five. Mike Williams, number seven. John Ross, nine. Juju, number 62 overall. Second round pick. Last one of it. And that doesn't even include Cooper Cup, who is in the third round, 69th pick overall, who might be the best receiver in this class. Might. Might be. Because there's some guys coming up later in the third round who you're going to be happy with as well. You get Taewon Taylor, bit of a bust. Or Darius Stewart, never heard of him. But guess what? The Jets took him. Can't trust what they're doing over there. Carlos Henderson, never heard of him. Let's be honest. Also in the third round. So you get three misses in the third round after Cooper Cup. And then you get two more absolute home run hits in the third round. Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay. That's the 20th in the third and the 32nd in the third. Again, think about this, folks. If you're a team like the Chargers who had holes, the Titans who had holes, the Bengals who had holes, and the Bengals holes were not at wide receiver, by the way. Do you regret that? Do you reconsider that moving forward? Now, I don't think it's one-to-one with the Bengals because Jamar Chase is a surefire pick, in my opinion, at wide receiver. He's an absolute stud. So it's not one-to-one in that regard. But taking him six, there's still a good chance that you're going to be happy with him with some regret that you did not get Panesul or Rayshon Slater to protect your pride and joy, your prized possession in Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase can be awesome, awesome, and not change the Bengals' outlook moving forward. That's how the wide receiver position works. And you think about Chris Godwin and Kenny Galladay, who have been just as impactful, if not more impactful, than any other of the receivers drafted before them. In fact, there were 10 of them drafted before them, and I consider five of them hits. So again, about a 50% success rate. That's all through the third round. If you get into the fourth round, you get Diddy Westbrook, and you get Josh Reynolds, and then a bunch of baloney down there. Maybe throwing a little Isaiah McKenzie action in the fifth. He's okay, whatever. There's opportunities here in the second, in the third, in the fourth, to find guys close to as good as those first-round picks, if not better. Every single year thus far. Every single year. And that brings us one more time. Here's 2016. And this one's tough. Because you have four first-round picks for receivers. And one of them is a hit. One. And he's had a really, a really weird year uh, career with not a bunch of consistent production. So at 15, you get Corey Coleman. Ugh. You get Will Fuller at 21, who's had some really good moments, an awesome year last year before the suspension, and is expected to be good moving forward. But he's off the team. He's off the team. The Texans have holes everywhere. But again, this was 2016, so it's a different team than we saw the past two years, right? Their offensive line can't protect. Deshaun Watson's running for his life. He's trying to run out of Houston. Well, for other reasons too, perhaps, but Will Fuller was the only guy who hit there. He's the only one. Oh, I didn't even get to their guys yet, but Will Fuller hit. Did he change the Texans' outlook? I don't know. You got Josh Doxson at 22. 
not a big hit there. Laquan Treadwell at 23, not a hit there. Into the second round we go. Three for three on receivers in the second round. Three guys picked, three hits in the second round. Sterling Shepard, ninth to the Giants, that's a hit. Michael Thomas, who is the best receiver taken in this draft, middle of the second round, huge hit. He had a bad year last year, huge hit. Tyler Boyd, picked towards the end of the second round by the Bengals, back to the Bengals. That's a great pick. Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, two second-round receivers, absolutely blows their first-round pick receiver out of the water. That guy's not even on the team anymore. Tyler Boyd, 55th overall. You move on, you get a bunch of baloney in the third and fourth round. Only two receivers drafted in the third round, a couple drafted in the fourth. You do get Demarcus Robinson at the end of the fourth round. Not a bad player. You get Tajay Sharp. He's okay. He's kind of gone, whatever. In the fifth round, you get Tyreek Hill, Rashad Higgins. Tyreek Hill in the fifth round. Obviously, he's unique. He's a star. He's a freak. We're not even going to count him as as one of those guys who you say, oh, well, you got to take a receiver in the fifth round. You got Tyreek Hill there. That's like saying Tom Brady, you know, you take a, a quarterback in the fifth round because you got Tom Brady there, right? It's not, that's not the example you use to win this argument. You get Rashad Higgins in the fifth round. Another guy who's a contributor, who's solid. This one, not as good as an example because of, a bunch of people in between that who haven't found success. But again, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight receivers. If you include Jakeem Grant, who's not bad in the sixth round, who were successful or found success. Three of them in the first round out of four were failures. So with all that being said, you look back to all these drafts and you look where the success comes. And there's about as good of a hit rate in the second and third round, sometimes the fourth, as there is in the first. So when your team is picking on Thursday night and you desperately want Jalen Waddle, or you desperately want Devontae Smith or you desperately want Jamar Chase, think about where your team is really at right now. Think about what they really need. And to think about the Bengals who are in this position to think about the Giants who are in this position, there's other holes that are more important at this point in time. We just talked about Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard being second and third round picks who are absolute hits. Both of those guys are on the Giants. If you go Devontae Smith, he might be great. Jalen Waddell might be good. But if you can't protect Daniel Jones, if you don't have an edge rusher who can really pressure the quarterback, Are we going to care that the Giants have three good receivers? Or are we going to still be saying, damn, we can't get to the quarterback. Damn, Daniel Jones has no time to get these playmakers the ball. So when you're considering your first-round pick on Thursday night, it's important to think about such a thing. If Rashawn Slater is available for the Giants to take, I would be disappointed if they took Waddle or Smith over him. It, just frankly, that, that I would be disappointed because I don't think it's the proper use of the resources. It's not. Actually, it's not the proper use of the resources because when you look at the first-round picks over all these past five years, it's just about the same hit rate in the first round as the second round and the third round. So that brings us to the current draft, which is fun, right? 
And that may not bring us to Thursday night. In fact, it may bring us into Friday and Saturday and Sunday. And that's okay. Because the point of this next exercise here, when I'm going to talk about the receivers who you may not know much about, is for when you hear their name called, perhaps to a team you like, perhaps when you're thinking about your fantasy football outlook, who because you know everybody who plays fantasy football, they think they're going to get the, the rookie receiver who makes it happen, right? They think they're, they're going to find the rookie guy who all of a sudden in week three or four, like Justin Jefferson, starts getting some more reps. I guess he starts to understand the playbook more. Who knows what the story is? And all of a sudden he explodes. Everybody who plays fantasy thinks they're going to get that guy right. And guess what? It happens a decent bit. Again, right back to the 2020 draft just one year ago. Don't you think there's a bunch of people, maybe it was you, who saw Chase Claypool in your second-to-last pick in your fantasy draft and said, yo, that guy's huge. Like, he's, he's pretty athletic. He's got good hands. I know he wasn't CeeDee Lamb. I know he wasn't Jerry Judy. I know he wasn't even Justin Jefferson. But I feel like I want to grab him. I want to hold on to him. I got these roster spots right now. You know, I might drop him in a couple weeks. Who knows? That might hit. Or you're seeing in week two or three, somebody drafted T. Higgins, and he wasn't doing much. And you're like, oh, T. Higgins on the wire? I got an extra spot. I got a good a good lineup right now. I'm going to throw him on the bench because I think he can contribute. And guess what? He did just that. So now that brings us to the current draft, 2021. We know about Jamar Chase. We know about Jalen Waddell. We know about Devonta Smith. We don't need to talk about them. Let's be honest, right? We just, we just don't need to talk about them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the next group of wide receivers. I'm going to include about seven or eight guys, maybe nine. I forget how many I did. And I'm going to tell you something about them. I'm going to tell you at the end one final thought, and it's going to be they will contribute, they should contribute, or they might contribute. Because all of these dudes, every year, second, third, fourth round, they all have a chance, right? They might need to get to the right team. They might need to be in part of the right receiver group or used properly. Not all guys are created equally. But all of these guys have a chance to contribute, some more than others. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on the next seven or eight or nine wide receivers after the big three. So that when you hear their names called, you got something to say. So let's hit the music. All right. First and foremost, the guy who is number four across the board, where I'm seeing it at least, we got Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. 6'2", 210. Good playmaker. Guy uses his hands. He's got strong hands. In fact, maybe his over-the-top, his deep ball hands are better than in traffic, right? Not great in traffic. I think it's it's more okay, which is why I'm a little concerned about him being perhaps a first-round pick because when you think about the first-round pick, you want a really good player. And I think there could be some guys we'll get to in a minute who could be better. But here are some of the things he does good. He's a willing blocker, not great at it. Again, he's okay in traffic. He's very aware of his surroundings, but that makes him contact averse sometimes. Nice feet, solid, solid route runner. 
pretty good in space, comes back to the ball and attacks it. But in fact, his sophomore year was a lot better than his junior year. He was a deep threat. I don't think he's a true number one, but Rashad Bateman has a role in this league. He will contribute. Number two, number three guy on a team. Next brings me to one of my more favorite secondary wide receivers in this draft. That is Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Now, my guy is just 5'9", 185, but man, he's built. He's small, but he's built. He has gravity in the offense. If you watch his highlights, he's in motion all the time, and defenses are locked in on him. He's used in the screen game very well and is extremely versatile in that regard. He finds a soft spot in the zone and looks to be that perfect slot guy build. In today's day and age, you think about Debo Samuel. You think about Kurt, uh, Curtis Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They're in the slot. They come into the backfield, sneaky handoff every once in a while. In the screen game, they can take a two-yard catch for 20, for 40, for, for 60 to the house. Elijah Moore has really good hands. For a little guy, a lot of times you see them catch the ball in their body, right? They want to catch the ball in their body, then they find where they're going to run, and they're going to try to make a move. Not this guy. He's using his hands, and that is one of the number one things I look for when I watch wide receivers. Are you catching the ball in your body, or are you going out and getting it? Are you attacking the ball? That's what this guy does. For a smaller guy, he attacks the ball, uses those strong hands to make a play. He's got burners over the top. Burners. And surprisingly for a small small guy, he goes and gets it. He gets up and attacks. High point. That's one of the number one things to look for in a receiver. How do they use their hands? Are they catching everything in their body? Or are they going and getting that ball? Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss will contribute. Game-breaking ability with a surprisingly rounded, wide receiver, polished game. So yes, he's small. Yes, he's got the, the burners. But don't be surprised when my guy is a reception hound in the middle of the field, taking hits. He's got great routes. He runs all the routes in the tree. It's really, really uh, a thing to watch, honestly. Elijah Moore, I have him ranked above Rashad Bateman, perhaps uh, with the idea that I'd rather take him in the second round early or middle second round than Rashad Bateman in the 24-25 range. That being said, that's how I feel. Next one brings us to Terrence Marshall out of LSU. This guy's got a big frame, man. He's 6'4". He uses his hands, but I'm not too confident how he operates in the middle of the field, inside the numbers. Not very impressed with how he handles the ball in con- uh, in traffic. How does he catch the ball in traffic? He's a bit contact-averse in the middle. But surprisingly, with being a little bit contact-averse in the middle of the field inside the numbers, he is by no means contact-averse when he's near the red zone. Maybe this guy just loves to score. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? He's got the frame for it. He's got the ability for it. If you watch Terrence Marshall Jr.'s highlights, there's a lot of touchdowns in there. There's not many plays where he's at the 40-yard line catching a tough slant, taking a hit over the middle. Like his teammate, Justin Jefferson, who made a living shredding defenses in the middle of the field, he's not that guy. He's got some good speed. He runs good routes. Pretty solid in space. But he is more of a red zone threat. He's a number two, number three receiver at best. I don't think he's near a number one playmaker on a team, but he should contribute. 
So we had Elijah Moore who will contribute. I think Rashad Bateman will contribute. Terrence Marshall should, but I'm not convinced. And that brings us to our next guy. One of the more unique dudes in the draft. Unique, unique, unique. Rondell Moore out of Purdue. He is not the biggest guy. In fact, he's probably one of the smallest guys. And also, on top of that, hamstring injury two years ago, undisclosed lower body injury last year, so he hasn't played much in two years. But this guy is small, but he's compact, fast, strong. My dude's tough. He gets the ball anywhere on the field. The defense is on its heels. He's got burst with and without the ball. My dude's got burners. He's a returner. He's a, he's a fiend out there killing people in the return game. In fact, in the highlights I saw, teams were actively kicking the ball away from him. He's physical. He is not afraid of contact. I don't see great hand hand utilization. There we go. I don't see him use his hands quite enough. He's a bit of a body catcher, but for his role in the screen game as a hybrid running back, the pop-out stuff, the jet sweep stuff, he doesn't need all that. He doesn't need the the incredible hands where he has to catch everything out with his hands. He's going to be making plays in all sorts of manner of ways. And he has over-the-top speed. He's an ankle breaker. I see him in that hybrid role where he's a slot, getting the, a lot of jet sweeps. This is a guy who, he won't be a number one. He probably won't be a number two. He's probably a three or number or three or four. But he can swing quarters. He can swing possessions. He can swing games with the game-breaking ability. I'm not saying he will contribute. There's injury concern as well. But if this dude gets to the right place, he should contribute. And teams will find a way to use him. The next guy we got is Kadarius Tony. Now, he is... One of the more argued over receivers here. He had some weird moments in in the year with drop passes and it, it maybe got in his head. He doesn't always seem very comfortable catching the ball in motion and moving in motion. But once he gets that ball, man, he is deadly. Sneaky power, physical. He is not afraid of contact. He's got quick feet. He can hit that jet sweep uh, screen game as well. Over the top speed. He actually has way better hands over the top than he does in the middle of the field which is a bit of an issue for a smaller guy who will be in the slot, but he can take the top off the defense. For real, for real. So I don't see a lot of him in the middle of the field, but in that short game, he can be deadly, and over the top, he can really make an impact. I don't expect him to be a a full-time starting wide receiver, not a number one, probably not a number two, but he's a guy who, if he's on your team, your OC is finding a way to get him the ball a couple times a game. Kadarius Tony should contribute. I am not confident enough to say he will contribute. Next guy is from North Carolina. His name is Deontay Brown. He's a big-time speed dude. He's got decent size, but over the top, boy, is it pretty. What worries me with Deontay Brown, you don't see him run a lot of intermediate routes. I remember thinking back to DK Metcalf. I'm like, yo, he runs a slant and he runs straight. It's not that impressive. Maybe he throws in a hitch every once in a while. Well, guess what? DK Metcalf is huge and no one can block him. No one can stop him. No one knows what to do with him. Deame Brown is not DK Metcalf. It seems like he mostly runs hitches and flies. Go routes are great, but you need to do more 
to be a top-tier wide receiver, and that's why I don't think he is a top-tier wide receiver. This, though, is the one thing about De'Ami Brown that's going to make him perhaps a number two in a team. My guy is a blocker. I swear, I, I, I watched all these dudes multiple game highlight tapes where it's every single snap. It's not just every target. It's not just every catch. I'm watching every single snap. And he is grinding on the outside as a blocker. He is downfield pushing people around. I couldn't believe it, actually. I mean, I I usually look for a willing blocker, and you'll hear me say it with a couple other dudes. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to recycle the songs. I only have two songs here, so that's what we're going with. I see guys be willing blockers. And I throw it in my notes. I'm like, all right, he's trying. He's getting a little physical. Maybe he's he's getting in the way. You know, he's making sure his guy doesn't make the tackle. Not De'Ami De- Brown, bro. He is pushing people around, and he's having fun doing it. He's okay in space. He's not great. I wouldn't expect him to be a, a big reception guy, like reception totals. But over the top and blocking is something that can keep you on the field. Defenses have to be aware when you have burners down the field and you can take the top off. Deontay Brown, I'm not confident enough to say that he... Actually, you know what? I'm changing this right now. Deontay Brown will contribute in this league. And it's probably because he's a blocker and he's physical. I haven't seen enough inside the numbers catches from him. I've seen some great over-the-top stuff. That will carve out a role for him. And on a certain team... You might see him get 80% of snaps because they want him out there in the run game. De'Ami Brown, I'd be happy to have him. That brings me to Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. This guy is physical. By no means is he contact averse. He loves to get dirty. He's got violent hands and feet at the top of his route. It's incredible. He is ready to throw his defender off of him. Within the boundaries of the rules, of course. He's physical, and he attacks the ball. I talked about how important it is for me that a receiver uses their hands to catch the ball. It sounds silly. Not catching everything with your body, because then when you take those hits, you give one more millisecond for the ball to be in the air, and you're not controlling it. Not Tylen Wallace. That guy goes and gets it. He attacks the ball, has great concentration, great aggression. He might be ranked as the number seven or eight receiver in this draft. I'm saying it right now. Tylen Wallace will contribute. He's not a number one, but he's a number two or a strong number three. He's tough. He's a playmaker. He's solid in space, and he's a grinder. The next guy we got is from Clemson, Amari Rogers. He's a smaller dude. He's got really quick feet. He runs good routes. He's pretty physical, and he breaks a lot of tackles on the college level. I got to be honest, though, I'm a little bit worried about how that's going to translate to NFL defenses. I don't think he has game-breaking speed over the top. He showed that he did in college, but I'm not convinced it's going to translate. The one thing that really surprised me, though, with Amari Rogers, for a guy with smaller size, he attacks the ball, and he's really surprising going to get it deep in traffic. Over-the-top balls, he's jumping up, he's trying to make a play, and he made way more plays than I would have expected over the top with defenses draped all over him. He's versatile in the screen game. I'm not sure, like I said, the tough running will translate, but he's quick in and out of cuts. He's got good hands, surprisingly good hands. I don't think he has number one potential at all. 
I'm going to say he might contribute, not will contribute, not should contribute. He might contribute. And that's going to be because of the lack of open space speed. He's got the quickness, not the, the breakaway speed for the NFL. And the physicality may not translate, though he's got some good hands. I like him. I don't love him. Next guy is Amon Ra St. Brown out of USC. And this is somebody who I was aware of for a year or two now. You might be too. Not very special to me, unfortunately. He might contribute, but I do think part of his success at USC was had to do a lot with the team. He was their red zone guy, so he scored a lot of touchdowns. He's very sound. He uses his hands. He has good hands. He comes back to the ball. If you get Amon Ross St. Brown on your team, I wouldn't expect to get a diamond in the rough. I would expect to get a guy who, when put into the system, is not going to make mistakes. He's going to secure passes. He's not going to do much after that. He was a good red zone guy in college. I'm not convinced it's going to translate. He has okay size. He has okay speed. He might contribute, but expect him to be more of a backup wide receiver in this league. Now, lastly, and this is lastly because this is the last guy I'm going to talk about here. He's my sleeper, man. He is my sleeper, and his name is Dwayne Eskridge. Now, in the in the number of... Uh, Sorry, in the mock draft or the big board that I'm looking at, he is the 90th rated player in the draft, and he is behind, I think, 14 receivers, four or five of which who I didn't even mention in this exercise. At least three who I didn't mention in this exercise. That would be Josh Palmer, Brevin Jordan, or Brevin Jordan's a tight end, Tutu Atwell. There's people who are ranked above Dwayne Eskridge, but I don't know why. He's a smaller guy, but he plays big. He's physical. He's got quick feet on routes, and he's got breakaway speed. Now, I don't know if he has too much faith in his hands or sometimes maybe just gets a little lazy throwing up one hand for a one-handed catch. I'm not exactly sure. But on every single play, he gets the ball thrown to him. He is attacking the ball with his hands. He is incredibly comfortable catching the ball in motion, in traffic, ready to make a play without taking his eye off the ball. My guy has burners. He is a smart, explosive uh, ball carrier. And in fact, if you ask me, (laughs) Dwayne Eskridge carried Western Michigan. He was a absolute game breaker for them who makes you miss and then beats you for 40. I'm all in on Dwayne Eskridge. He is my sleeper wide receiver in the draft. Based off this big board, there's like 12 to 14 receivers ahead of him. Not on my book. Dwayne Eskridge will contribute. Think about LaVishka Chenault on Jacksonville. He's a little bit less physical with size and uh, the thickness that Chenault has, but it's that same versatility, a really sound receiver who can help out in the backfield, in the jet sweep game, in the in the screen game, and he has returning ability as well. Dwayne Eskridge will be heard from. He played in an eh conference with an eh quarterback who in one of the game highlights I watched, I swear there was four botch snaps. It was ugly. But you know who wasn't ugly? Dwayne Eskridge. And on top of that, he was the second best blocker I saw. uh, Dwami Brown was number one blocker that I saw. Dwayne Eskridge at five foot nine was physical as hell, willing to block, and he overcame a meh team with a meh quarterback and made awesome plays game in, game out. He's quick. 
He's got burners. He's the real deal. Dwayne Eskridge. And that's all we got. Oh, man. That was fun. That was one shot right there, guys. I know we're up to like an hour here now on this podcast, but I find wide receivers fascinating. I really do. We all think about them as much as any position, if not more, outside of quarterback in the entire NFL. We love them. They're our fantasy favorites. They're our favorite players in general, right? If you think about the jerseys around the league, again, taking quarterbacks out of it, receivers are the leaders in the clubhouse. They're the coolest guys. They're the most fun. They're the most exciting. That's why we love them. That's why I'm talking about them. I have a great time doing it. Uh, There's obviously a bunch more guys who I could have watched and could have given you guys some thoughts on, but I wanted to hit the main guys who are on the big board after the big three, and then I gave you my one sleeper, that's Dwayne Eskridge. So hopefully you enjoyed. Hopefully you learned a little something there, and hopefully now when you're watching the draft for your boys and you hear Dwayne Eskridge get drafted in the fourth round, fifth round, you're like, yo, watch out, bro. This guy's got field-tilting speed. He's got great hands. He catches everything in sight. You're going to love him. I promise. That's all we got, though. Obviously, there's stuff to talk about with the New York Knicks. The nine-game win streak came to an end against the Phoenix Suns. Tough game. They fought. They were due for a loss, and they lost to a good team. Nothing to be shamed of there. Great excitement in New York. Shout-out to the Brooklyn Nets. Clinched the playoffs. First team in the Eastern Conference to do so. They are just rolling. It's insane. They've been missing Kevin Durant. Didn't matter. They've been missing James Harden. Hardly matters. Kyrie Irving goes away. Doesn't matter. They win. This team is better than we thought. It really is. And then on the Mets and Yankees front, still some lackluster performances out there. Uh, You know, the Yankees are playing the Orioles currently, so that's a great opportunity for them to figure their stuff out and get right. You know, the Yankees love to crush the Orioles, waiting for Glaber Torres to hit four home runs next game. So we'll be back next week. In fact, I got guests lined up for next week to talk hoops. They are from the Hardwood Knox podcast. I don't I don't like to say it before because you never know what could happen if they're busy. They're they're uh, you know big time writers. My guy Dan Favalli writes for Bleacher Report. Adam Fromal he created NBA Math. It's really really great stuff out of them. Their podcast is Hardwood Knox. So if you're looking for basketball content, they're going to be on Subway Sports Talk very soon, and they have a great podcast of their own. So check them out. And we're back with more stuff next week. This is great time of the year. I hope y'all enjoy the draft. I know I can't wait. I'm going to be tuned in all weekend, and I look forward to seeing where these guys land because guess what? When the draft happens, that means we're that much closer to the season, and who doesn't love football season, man? It's a beautiful thing. All right, my name is Pete Kennedy. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, everything on Apple Podcasts, listen on Spotify, follow on Spotify. Also follow us on Twitter at Subway Sports Talk TLK, on Instagram at Subway Sports Talk TALK, the normal way and myself, at P. Kennedy with two Ys, on Twitter and the gram. Let us know what you think, man. Let me know what you think about my wide receiver thoughts. I want to hear from you guys. I want to continue this conversation as we keep bringing the content and having fun with this thing. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Have a good one.